Oh, I am uh, searching for words to describe to you how blessed I am to be with you here this morning. Um, I was thinking about the hundreds of times that I have been in contexts similar like this with Godfrey and Debbie leading music, and that just blessed my heart uh, this morning. My daughter Katie did okay, too. Um, and, and let me just remind you that Andy gave a really good sermon mid-church, amen? I'm telling you, you did ruin my life a little, though, because uh, I'm youth director in the conference, run Glacier View Ranch, and I know that my daughters were listening and were like, we could own horses and have them boarded maybe at our house all year, because we lease them and ship them in out of Arkansas right now, and uh, the idea of Glacier View Ranch owning horses probably ruined my life and and Ed's budget, (laughs) so... You're forgiven since it's Sabbath. Uh, but uh, just being in church with you all this morning has, has touched my heart. I think that's what Jesus designed the church to be. And I just want you to know that, that we at the conference still believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And um, appreciate having Ed Barnett here as our president. It was very early on in his leadership here that he said, we don't have a church in Castle Rock. We need a church in Castle Rock. And uh, I said, amen. And then in a side meeting, I said, I think I know who, who the Spirit is leading you to bring on board. And uh, Godfrey and Debbie, your ministry here is so, so much a blessing to us. And uh, we're grateful to be here. I, I will give you a brief overlook of what's going to happen in the next uh, 20 minutes-ish. Um, I'll lead you through a few introductory things, hopefully to kind of get my heart moving toward being your preacher rather than just soaking up the worship with you all. Um, and then we're going to go through a three, a very simple three-text progression that has really affected my life um, overall, but especially around Christmas time. And so if you have something that you can write those down or kind of record them in your memory, I think they'll be a blessing to you. Uh, it's going to end up at a verse that is one of my all-time favorite verses And so we're going to do that, and then we'll turn a little corner, and you'll hear a story that I heard just recently, right at Thanksgiving, it was on Thanksgiving Day, actually, and uh, share that with you, and then uh, we'll wrap up today. Uh, I want to sort of at the outset tell you that this is not intended to be a well-crafted sermon for you to say, wow, overall, that was well done. Um, It's more of something that will hit a few points, and if only one of those is what the Spirit leads you to write down and carry home in your heart and think of uh, in the coming week and Christmas season, then that'll be, that'll be what we're here for. So if you would bow your heads one more time with me. Lord Jesus, this local church thing was a good idea. And I ask your special blessing again on the Castle Rock Church. Please uh, continue to guide and to bless the leadership here and to just... Um, cover the worship and the times together with your spirit and let it truly be the light in this community that you long for it to be. And so we ask that in your name who designed it. And in this moment, we ask for your Holy Spirit to truly be the preacher this morning. That as we open your word, you would truly speak life into our hearts. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I, as a way of introduction, would say to you that I was sitting in the parking lot earlier this morning, 
Katie had come up and practiced music with you guys. And I was thinking again to the times when I was a teenager, when I was your guys' age, and God was moving in my life. And I thought to myself, if I accept Jesus fully into my life, it's going to change up my whole plan. And I'm going to have to sacrifice all my aspirations and dreams and thoughts of what I think and where I'm headed in life. And I was just embarrassed about that again this morning in the parking lot because I thought I never envisioned that I'd get to be your guys' youth pastor and all those teen ministry days in Bakersfield long ago, that you would be the pastoral couple investing in my children's lives and Katie uh, being part of worship with you and such. And so back then I had this idea that to accept Jesus on his terms would be hardship. And I'm embarrassed of that these days. Not to say that there weren't trials and things that you go through and transitions and all of those things, but but to accept Jesus on his terms in one way felt like this was going to change up all of life. And um, I suggest to you to spend a little bit of time in reflection on the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Remember when the angel came to her and said, you're going to have a baby. Imagine what must have flashed through her mind of how this would impact her reputation, her social strata, potentially her upcoming marriage with Joseph, Um, the very real possibility of physical harm in this situation, and those unmistakable words that came out of that young heart to the angel saying, be it unto me as you have said. Mary was the first to accept Jesus on his terms, And it did impact her life. It did change up her whole plan. But I can't wait to sit with her in heaven one day and say, have you ever stopped to think of what would have happened if you hadn't said, be it unto me as you have said? So in this Christmas season, let's accept Jesus on his terms. For him to come into our lives and say, I'm calling you to follow me. For us to say to him, uh, be it unto me as you've said. And um, those through history who have accepted Jesus on his terms uh, have no regrets. And scripture is filled with those accounts. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is about mid-Jesus ministry. Um, and he's in, he's in full discipleship mode. He has already administered the calls. The disciples are following him. They've lived through some of his miracles. Uh, he has begun telling them parables, and he's been pulling them aside and, and teaching them uh, privately also. And this is one of those moments where, where Jesus is speaking to them because they have asked about the end times and the judgment and um, Jesus is, is going on about this, but there's a moment in Luke 18 where I think Jesus um, shifts gears uh, almost abruptly, like you feel the jolt in a way, because he goes from talking to them about the judgment to posing a question to them that I think must have been the question for Jesus. Maybe you've had one of those moments in conversation where the conversation almost seems um, sort of periphery, almost like noise, because what's on your heart is, is what you long to share, and sometimes that, that comes out. I think this is a moment where Jesus does that. If you want to look at verse 6, we'll kind of catch up, and then you'll, you'll feel the shift. 
Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Verse 8, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. And here I submit is the, the gear shift. And you probably have a fancier vernacular to describe that. I'm kind of a, a car guy, so I like the idea of like shifting gears here. Jesus shifts here. And I imagine that he sort of almost blurts out. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, Jesus in his mind's eye and his description to the disciples is describing our day and closing events and the judgment. And then the question that must have been paramount in his mind all through his ministry was, when I come back, will I find faith? On the earth? Because you see, he had just recently come as a baby in Bethlehem, born in that stable. And heaven had barely found faith on the earth. And so Jesus, as he's, as he's engaging with humanity to bring life into a dying, spiritually dead world, he's saying, When I come back, will it be different? Will I find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And I imagine that the disciples say, oh, oh, well, teacher, that's a good question. And maybe Jesus looked them right in the eyes and said, no, I'm telling you, that's the question. And it's the question for you and I today. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because you see, just a few short years before, Jesus had been born in a stable And if you want to read a really interesting chapter, look in the book Great Controversy around page 314-ish, depending on the printing that you get. But if you're in the three, the three in the teens, you'll be in the right chapter. So Great Controversy 314, uh, Ellen White describes this scene of heaven right at the birth of Jesus. And she describes that the angels are just like at the gates, like ready to go to proclaim the good news of the born Savior to save humanity from their sins. Like, they are, they are there. And I don't know if there's any others of you that enjoy racing, but uh, I like races of all types, actually. I mean, we could race turtles, and I'd be in. I'd be trying to hop one up and make it faster. Um, there's, there's a moment in racing, whether you're in the race or watching the race, that I think is the most dramatic and sort of engaging. And it's the start of the race. I like the finishes, especially if you're in the race and you make the finish. That's good. Um, and we could do a whole other sermon in Paul and I've run the race and all of that. So not to take away from the finish of the race, but, but there's a moment in the start of the race where everything is on the line. Uh, when Delinda does triathlons, I'm, a, I'm not in those. Uh, but I still love the beginning of the race because the preparation, the travel, the, all of the equipment, all of that stuff is there and ready to go. I like motorsports races because that's where the engines fire up and you start to get that smell and um, I just the beginning of the race is awesome and I envisioned this to be one of those moments like the the angels are ready to go but the father has said no 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 those gates open and it's game on when we heard that first cry out of the stable 
And Ellen White describes that scene, that, and it must have been sort of a nod from the Father and the gates opening. I always envision the gates of heaven falling like motocross racing gates, because I raced motocross as a teenager. So I kind of think on this day, the gates of heaven went down so they could get out faster. And those angels streak from heaven, and they go straight to Judea, the people who were the keepers of sacred prophecy who had outlined the time and the place. When the fullness of time had come, they were the ones who held those words. And the angels streaked from heaven to share the news, and they were ready to proclaim the good news of a Savior born. And it shocked them, because they found no one ready. No one praying and speaking of the coming of the Messiah. And she describes that they they flew over Jerusalem, and, the, and the, uh, the temple, and all of that. And nobody was talking and praying about the coming of the Messiah. And as she describes it, it's, it's as they are headed back to heaven to share the shocking realization that the world didn't care. When almost over the corner of their shoulder, out of the corner of their eye, they saw a little flickering firelight on the hillside. And there were there shepherds who were talking and praying and hoping for the coming of the Messiah. And they turned and all heaven just uh, lit up their surroundings. And that's where we get the words out of Luke 2, where they say, listen, unto you a child's born. You'll find him. He's there. He's for you. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. You see, Jesus is asking this question in Luke 18, saying, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Because he had just come, and, and barely found it. And I think that begs the question of us, when the Son of Man comes, will he find you? Will he find me with faith on the earth? So I'll read it one more time and we'll go to our second verse. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I just hope as we pray that, as we read that scripture, that the prayer of our heart is, yes, Jesus, I want you to find me. I, I want to be the flickering firelight on the hillside that's talking and praying and hoping for your coming. Find, find me. There's another very similar verse. It's almost going to feel verbatim. Turn to Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible. Psalms chapter 14, verse 2. Psalms 14, verse 2, it sounds very reminiscent of this. Psalms 14, verse 2 says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Now I'm going to get into this in just a moment, a little bit more, but keep in mind that these verses of God looking down on us, it's not looking for opportunity to smack you. He's looking for people who have a heart after His, who are seeking to understand, who seek Him. This is, this is the description of God looking down on heaven as He's saying, where are those who want love and faith and happiness and kindness to rule in their context? That's what he's looking for. He's not looking, for, he's not looking down for you to, to mess up. So I'll read it again. It says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. You know, this is sort of that piece where you've, you really feel him driving towards saying, He's looking for those in the crowd that stand out. How many of you have ever seen the book, Where's Waldo? 
Go ahead, raise your hand. There's a a lot of them, yes. The Where's Waldo thing where you're picking it up and you're finding him in the jungle, you're finding him in the city, you're finding him in all that stuff. And didn't he wear a red hat or something? Like you're kind of looking looking for that. But uh, there's a word picture in scripture that I think kind of follows along that in some ways that I resonate with. It's John the Revelator. He's on the island of Patmos. Uh, He feels abandoned by the world, not abandoned by Jesus, amen, but abandoned by the world. He's on Patmos and he has a vision of, of the future. And if I understand prophetic vision correctly, uh, he's not just seeing an example of, he's seeing an actual picture of the future. And there's a picture you can read in Revelation where he is, he is standing on the sea of glass and the great multitude is gathered. It's the redeemed of all ages. And he's standing there looking out over this great multitude. And you know what I'd be doing if I was John? I'd be looking for my face. Like, I just think John was there, and he was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But he's looking, like, where's, where's my face? And maybe his accompanying angel kind of elbowed him and said, who's that guy over there? And John looks, and he sees his face in vision, and he just thinks, Jesus, you saved me. I made it. My end game isn't the trials of this world. My confinement isn't this physical confinement of the Isle of Patmos, but, but you have a future and a plan for me. You'll save me. It's by your grace. And, and I think when, I, you know, probably the rest of the vision was lost to John and we have no record of it because John looked out on that great multitude and he was like, by God's grace, I made it. I was there. But the eyes of the Lord look down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. This is not the altar call yet. Um, but I just want to ask, have you gotten a little lost in the world this year? Has the craziness and chaos and all of the busyness and, 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 and grief possibly of loss or life transition, have you gotten a little lost? Um, would you spend a little bit of time letting, letting maybe your accompany angel nudge you and say, you're there, there you are, God sees you. You're part of, you're in, you're in. Um, So this idea that God is looking down for faith on the earth. One more verse. We're we're ripping through this, by the way. So you're going to get to go to lunch. Don't worry, I have a story that might go long. Okay, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. You're almost feeling like these words are, are just redundant through this. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 starts out, not surprisingly, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I'd, I'd like to sort of diverge just for a moment and say that in many ways, maybe I'll just back up and start that over again. Can I suggest that Jesus is the anti-Santa? <laughs> like this idea that, that Santa's detached on the North Pole somewhere, watching to see whether you're naughty or nice, keeping his list and checking it twice, and then coming back and doling out arbitrary reward one way or the other, coals or toys, 
is so anti what Jesus longs for us to understand when he says, I'm looking down on you. Because he's not from some faraway place. God is saying, I am near. I am close by. I'm not keeping my list and checking it twice. I died on the cross so that the list could be wiped clean. That, that my whole thing in finding you is not to dull out the reward you deserve, but it is to, it is to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I see it sort of as heaven's radar. That's where our sermon title came out of, is that I know this is maybe a little bit off and you're getting into Steve Hamilton's head a little bit, but I imagine that above the throne of God is like this big radar wand that's just like... And before we came up with digital screens and Blu-ray and high def, you know, God had one spread out across the courtyard and the world was there. And when a boy or a girl, whatever the age says, Jesus, I want my heart to be completely yours. It lights up on that radar screen and the God of the universe says to the almighty heavenly host, go support her. Be on his team. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And this is not complicated. You want the total, complete support of heaven? Just give your heart to him doesn't take time. It doesn't take a pilgrimage. remember being in India several times and seeing kids being baptized in the headwaters of the Ganges, people that had pilgrimaged from long, long, long ways. Jesus just says, it can happen right here, right now. Let your heart be completely mine and all heaven's support. Light up that screen on the radar. I want to light up. I want, I want me to hit the screen every day, every moment, where God can say, strongly support That Steve guy, he's a mess, I know. But strongly support him because he gave his heart to me. Um, So that's where we'll turn a corner in this a little bit. But as we do, I'll remind us that God is not watching to keep this list. He's watching so that he can support you, to comfort you, to heal, strengthen, and empower. That's why God is looking down The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Oh man, I've treasured that scripture for years. I believe God is desperate for us to understand that he is not far away on the North Pole. He's near in the most intimate way because he sent his son as a baby. And here's the story. I just heard this a few days ago at Thanksgiving time. We had summer camp staff hanging out at our house because we're kind of, for some of them, we're the only kind of family context they attach to. And a girl that's worked for us for several years and now graduated and in the adult world and all of that, she flew back in and spent time with us. Used to run, was a wrangler at Glacier View Ranch, actually, for a couple of years. And then came back this last year as a nurse. And she'll be back for a couple of weeks again this year. As a nurse, she was texting me, what, what dates are cub camp? I want cub one and two. Okay, here are the dates. And uh, so now that I'm in a hospital context, I'll be very aware of HIPAA. So uh, in some hospital, in some state, within three states of ours, a certain nurse who we know, who saw this firsthand, told us this story. Uh, and it was just a few months ago. It was this last year. 26-year-old girl uh, I'm going to open my phone because when she was telling me the story, I was just like, 
oh man, let me make sure and get the details of this thing. So, girl, 26 years old, 34 weeks pregnant, goes into, to, um, into labor early. Husband loads her in the car. They're on the way to the emergency room because she's in labor at 34 weeks. This has come as a surprise. And she goes into a massive seizure in the car on the way to the emergency room. She thrashes so violently in the car and the husband isn't able to mitigate that in any way that she uh, crushed and burst the cerebellum and had two massive brain bleeds. By the time they pulled into the emergency room, she was a vegetable, uh, completely flat flying. They rush her in, do an emergency C-section, and little baby boy's okay. He's 34 weeks old, he's, he's preemie, but he's okay. They send little baby boy down to the NICU unit, uh, which is where this girl works. She's a NICU nurse there, and the only way we'll ever get her, I'll just tell you, the only way we'll ever get her is in a level four uh, NICU, so you guys get started on that. Um, so, <laughs> um, so little boy goes down to NICU, mom goes up to, to ICU, and the units share nurses, actually. Some of those NICU nurses are on shifts up at ICU and vice versa. So they're, they're kind of watching this story now from different floors of the hospital, but they're, they're involved in both 34-week-old little baby and mom who is flatlined to every test administered. She's completely brain dead. Um, and so a few days go by. Um, of course, in her... In, in her wishes to the family and will and such was that they wouldn't leave her that way indefinitely and such. But the nurses watch as dad and husband goes and sits by the bed every day and just cries because he's lost his wife. And he has, he has to make the decision when to pull the plug. Five days go by. Medical advice says nothing's coming back. Nothing's there all the tests and response tests, everything comes back. She's, she's dead. Um, and so they set the time for her to be unplugged. The dad goes down to NICU and talks to the NICU unit and says, listen, we're going to be unplugging my wife tomorrow. And my son will never have a memory of his mom. Is there any way that before we pull the plug, we could get a picture of him with her. And this is against hospital policy and such, but these, the whole hospital's kind of invested in this thing because of the shared department nurse things. And so these nurses are like, yes. And so the next day they schedule for, for this to happen. Uh, they perform all of the last tests because the progression is when we'll get baby boy here, we'll take a picture and then that's where they can say a prayer and whatever and, and unplug. So everything is done. Again, she's totally, totally, not, she's gone. And uh, nurses at NICU package up little boy and they roll him upstairs in his incubator. And it's quite an ordeal to get like tubes and stuff out. But they get the little boy out of his incubator and they lay him on mama's chest. And unbelievably, mom's arm comes up and places it on the little baby. Now, side note story, one of the nurses, one of the intensive care nurses that had been part of this whole process loses it, like loses it right there. 
And crazy enough is she, that next weekend, loaded up her kids. She was a non-religious person, loaded up her kids and went to church and has been going to church with her kids every weekend since. Um, But uh, so mom's hand raises up and it just blows everybody's mind. So now they're in the mode of what just happened? What just happened? They take baby back down to NICU. They run more tests stuff's flatlined, like it's as if it didn't happen. They're trying to understand what was going on with that. The next day, they decide, the, doc, the neurology team decides to bring baby back. They bring baby back up, put baby on mama's chest. Mama raises her arm, and tears begin to come down her cheeks. And the medical team says, this is a miracle. There's no way to explain this any other way than something beyond medical care is happening when this baby is brought into contact with mom. Uh, a little bit of the wrap of the story is, is that they continued to do this. Mom began to improve, and at 37 weeks, grandma came to pick up baby boy, and mom walked from, from the upstairs unit down to the NICU and walked baby boy out to the front and then was transferred into rehab. And as far as we know, she continues to make improvements because the intimate touch of that baby brought life into a dead situation. I want to wrap this morning by saying that when this world was flatlined in every way, when it seemed as if there was no hope for spiritual life, that probably the best thing for heaven to do would be to just pull the plug on us. The heavenly father laid his baby son on the chest of humanity. And it really does bring life. It really does bring life. And so I heard an old preacher tell me once, he said, Steve, there are times when the preacher needs to be quiet and let the Holy Spirit do all of the talking. And I want one of those moments. Debbie's going to play. Let's pray silently. Uh, but let the Holy Spirit do the talking to your heart. And let it bring life into those areas that might have been flatlined this year. And so I'm just going to kneel down and pray a bit and and you'll know when we wrap. But Precious Lord, thank you that you are not in far, some far distant place arbitrarily handing out what we deserve. Thank you for being an intimate Savior that miraculously brings life 
into our hearts. Jesus, we want to answer this morning the question you asked long ago. When you come again, will you find faith on the earth? We want to answer by faith, yes. You'll find us living and breathing because of that precious baby born in Bethlehem. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak the words to each of our hearts that we need most this morning. If it's comfort that we need, please bring comfort. If it's strength to endure an almost unbearable situation, then please give us strength. If it's if it's company in loneliness that no one else can fill, give us company. If it's freedom from guilt from the past, pray that you'd bring freedom from that in your grace. And so, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being born a baby and rising again victorious over sin and death so that when you come back as the reigning king of the universe, you'll find us ready and waiting. We long for that day in your precious name. Amen.